Welcome to the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. This audio program has been carefully packed to the legal limit with a weekly allowance of non-governmentally approved deep thoughts per square minute of podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Judah and Noah. The following episode requires just a little explanatory note here at the beginning. This episode and the next one are discussion of Judah's talk that was in the previous episode, episode four of season two, the talk entitled Nourishing the Soul of a Child. But we had recorded an episode prior to these two, which are the discussion about that talk, and in that episode we discussed some of the epic texts from, in particular, the Hindu tradition that uh, Judah's been immersing himself in. And so the first part of this discussion has some overtones from that discussion. We're going to be referring to these epic texts as we ease our way into a discussion of nourishing the soul of a child. Enjoy. So last week, we weren't here. No, we weren't, were we? <laughs> Life happens. But we had a, a treat. We listened to uh, one of your recent talks, and I thought it was really interesting, and thought that maybe we would uh, spend a few minutes at least uh, talking about it. Sweet. There's a lot to unpack there. It was, there was, it, was, it was quite a dense talk, I believe. Well, you have Steiner as your source, so density is part of the picture. <laughs> yeah, I think you had mentioned at some point during the talk that... Uh, you know, those who have also tried to read Steiner <laughs> will have gotten to the point where they're reading the same passage over and over going, what the hell is he trying to say here? Yes. And that you'll spend countless hours on one passage trying to decode it, which is why I don't read Steiner. <laughs> which is why I do read Steiner. <laughs> so that fits in perfectly with your uh, Mahabharata. Yes. Uh, you clearly have a penchant for the long dense uh, textual experiences, whereas I'm one for the pithy, you know, um, Taoist witticisms and one-liners. I like one-liners. You like one-liners. Just get it, give it to me in a single paragraph at most. Yeah, that's why you love the Tao, isn't it? Yeah. God, Jing is about as succinct as it gets. It's amazing, isn't it? You know? Yeah, really. So, but, you know, both of those are great. Uh, I mean, the thing that's really nice about these long textual passages is you have an opportunity to ruminate with the transmission. Yes. I mean, you, you can do that with the single passages, but it's a different type of rumination. It's, it's kind of it's more you take meditative. It more, yeah, you take it more interior yeah. and work it inside of yourself. And in this, you're kind of able to, you're basking in this continual stream of narrative. Exactly. You, you're getting the imprint of a story. Mm-hmm. So you, you're, you actually, I find myself, I enter into the story. Yeah, it's fascinating because, yeah. I mean, the other thing that's wonderful about it is that you, you get to understand a cultural tradition. Yes. So you have a, a history and a whole civilization that you get, then have a familiarity with. You know, with Taoism, it's way more obscure. You don't have that same sense of familiar. You get familiar with some ideas and a certain sense of style, but it's not like <clears throat> all of a sudden you know all the names of the 
historical players and the different kings and the different characters and right. what happened and all that kind of thing. Right. The question, of course, is whether or not any of that happened. <laughs> but in a certain sense, it doesn't matter because this is poetry and it happens on some elemental level, which is what we were talking about. In we were talking about it in the next podcast. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We have. We have. Uh, <laughs> we're playing a little time trick on you there. We're time traveling. Yeah. In this particular episode, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was just going to say something. I totally forgot what it was I was going to say. What did you just say? <laughs> something about, we were talking about it in the next podcast. Uh, uh, no, the thing about uh, uh, the underlying uh, f- essential dynamic that's happening between the characters is a truth, irrespective of whether or not the historical yes. figures were engaged in these. You know, Obviously, right. there are some things in these long epics that... Uh, stretch credulity in terms of happening in the material world. Yes. So, and we have we don't know what. Yeah, we have no idea, right? Right. So I, I when I read the Ramayana and I'm reading the Mahabharata, I was reading it from the perspective that this these are true stories. Right. Like that's the perspective I'm going in, and I tell other people like read this as if it really happened. Like remove all doubt. And just allow yourself to to believe in something like this, to really receive it. And what's fascinating, though, is that when they are both, I mean, these are capsules like of history. Like there is lineages that are passed down. The amount of names that are used is phenomenal through both stories. And same names, like these, there's certain gurus, certain rishis, certain spiritual people who like show up in both stories in the Upanishads. So it's like, there's something about like... Clearly they were working with the same material and there yeah. are some linchpins that kind of hold yeah. the historical narrative together. Yeah. And you, you could say the same is true of the Bible, right? You have your genealogies right. and um, long lists of, of uh, names and relations and histories and battles and all of that kind of thing. Uh but we also see that there are some serious problems that arise when people take it too literally. Right. And so I am someone who would prefer to focus on the underlying essential kind of spiritual patterning that's happening mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. a little bit less um, convinced about the historical information. Right. Or think of the historical information as being used as a way of describing patterning. Right. That that these are actually inner experiences we all go through in in the journey of spiritual development, that we are waging these wars within ourselves. Yeah, that's interesting because even within Taoism, you hear uh, things along those lines. Uh, There's a passage in Understanding Reality, Cheng Po Chuan, that talks about once the reconciliation between the opposites has been achieved, then it's time to go to war. Mm. It's not entirely true to say that all the Taoist texts uh, avoid this kind of historical reference thing. There are a number of them that do. But some of the key ones, like the uh, Tao Te Ching and uh, Cheng Po Chuan, are very elegant and very sparing. So... Uh, I guess for someone like me, that that 
um, has a lot more resonance because I get easily confused when there's a lot of names. Mm. No, well, you're <laughs> it's almost impossible. Like I have a hard time even with like reading a play uh, or something like that where mm-hmm. there's a bunch of characters or even sometimes following a movie. It's like if people don't really look totally different in there and I'm not like slowly introduced to the characters, if there's more than like four or five characters I have to keep track of, <laughs> forget it. I'm like lost. I'm like, which guy is that? Who's, you know, I have to watch it like five or six times before I can figure out what's going on. But we're, we're running the risk of getting sideswiped and not, I, 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 right, yeah, yeah. I'm going to try and figure out a way of getting back to <laughs> How do we talk. segue into that? Well, I'm just going to basically cram it to where it needs to go. I'm going to okay. use brute force. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the the basic structure of the talk, if I understood correctly, was talking about the different forms of nourishment. You know, we're talking about nourishing the child, and we could say that we're all children of God, mm-hmm. and so um, this is something that's not only about those who have children, but it's to figure out our own place and being and how do we nurture ourselves within this existence. Right, exactly. So, you, you know, it was nourishing the soul of a child was, was, the, the, was the, the title of the talk. And what my goal was, was to take people into an idea or into an understanding of the different sheaths of the human organism according to Rudolf Steiner, which would be the physical body, the etheric body or the life body, then the, the astral body, also known as the soul body, and then just very briefly touch on the eye. Mm-hmm. You know, so I and, I want to get to that. Yeah, but I want to put it aside because okay. that's going to be where we have disagreements to discuss. <laughs> I kind of want to talk first, if you don't mind, yeah. about um, some of the things that I derive from, and I want to make sure that I'm getting it right. Okay, um, so. In terms of the overall picture of nourishment, right? You're identifying basically four uh, realms to uh, within which we are uh, operating to nourish. And I, the first one you identify, I would probably characterize as something like imitation or mirroring. Is that right? Ah, uh, so so that I, I don't know if that would be a, a form of well I guess that could be a yeah that would be a form of nourishment in, right in a sense because I think what my premise was is that um, we're talking about when I got to how to nourish the soul of a child and I think I made the quote um, Rudolf Steiner said that to educate a child is to educate yourself and and the reason is is because a child has a deep desire and need to imitate right. And and an imitation began with cellular replication. That's right. It. It, well, so we just have to so make one quick note there, though. If you're saying uh, to educate a child is to educate yourself, the use of the word self there is one of those confusing moments, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So most people hear that and think individual self. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily what we're talking about. You could say to educate a child is to educate the self. Mm. We could right? say that, yeah. And so the the imitation is the opportunity for a self to try things on in, in essence mm-hmm. to find a patterning so mm-hmm. in essence you're you're like uh, digesting a way of being right right and the uh, um you could say that that mirroring 
of trying on different things and then the behavior that comes from it provides the feedback mechanism where learning occurs. Right. I mean, th think about it. We have mirror neurons. We're, we're going to mirror what we see. Children, how do other, children don't learn other than doing what they see. Right. Right. Monkey and so, see, monkey do. Exactly. And mm -hmm. so not the do as I say, not as I do, right? It's they are going to do what we do. So we have to be the example that nourishes that within them. So that brings self-responsibility into the picture. Bingo. Yeah. So that's uh, a huge element in nourishing the self. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So uh, we have to accept responsibility for our own uh, actions, yes. our own doings, yes. both internally and externally. Mm -hmm. So the thinking that we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. What we're doing with the feelings that we have mm -hmm. and the actions and the words. Words are a form of action. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, right? Because the thoughts and feelings are the inner private life and then the actions are what express those, are the expressions of those thoughts and feelings. Uh-huh. Right, so that's what stamps our private inner life of thoughts and feelings back out into the world and makes it impermanent. You yes, it ricochets throughout the and the it's universe. done. Once you've done it, it's done. It's out there. That's karma. Yeah, yeah. So then the next thing that you had mentioned um, is imagination, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, which has something to do with intuition because it's like. Imagination is slightly different than the patterning you were given in this learning process. Imagination is like variation and development on what is learned, mm. right? So, but it's also uh, a much larger uh, process in the kind of universal underlying archetypes of what's happening. Um, we've spoken to some extent about the um, the, the hierarchy of the angels mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the imaginations is one of the stages in the uh, falling from uh, the pure state of of spiritual being, right? That that materializes into this world. Mm -hmm. um, so there's something to to consider. Uh, that the developmental process that we're undergoing in our learning and, nour and nourishing ourselves, which is the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. A big mm -hmm. part. And I really like the fact that you started the whole nourishing side of things not talking about food, that like the focus of your nourishing in the talk was initially about these spiritual issues. And then later on, you went to talk about food, mm -hmm. which is also important, of course. Right. But it's great that because quite often people will talk about the, the food aspect of it first and then sort of tag on a little bit about <laughs> you know, what's happening inside of the mind and the emotional centers. So you, you said that we're the ones creating meaning. Yes. In, we're the meaning givers. Right. And uh, so intuition is, you know, tuition is like learning, right? Mm -hmm. You pay tuition fees, right, in order to learn. <laughs> and, of course, intuition is learning inside yourself, mm -hmm. right? I think a lot of people will associate the word intuition with uh, like a gut feeling. I'm just going to go – it's almost like shooting from the hip, right. you know? 
But I don't think that's really what intuition is. I, think I it's call good. that instinct. I think instinct is the gut feeling. And I think intuition is a higher form of thinking. I, I think it comes from the heart, personally. I think right, intuition I, I, comes from the heart. I don't think it can come just from the heart. Not just from the heart. It's the heart-mind, once again. Yeah. The head is a spiritual organ. It's it's what receives, uh, um, you know, uh, ideas and concepts and flashes the flash comes through through the head doesn't it when you have that intuitive insight it's like that lightning flash right right so i, I there, there's so imaginative thinking or imagination it allows us to if we can cultivate imaginative thinking which is what i was talking about is we can um uh, we're not stuck to logic. We can allow ourselves to tap into, you can look at imagination as spiritual seeing perhaps. Yeah. Right? And then there comes inspiration if we can, yes. which so, is like spiritual listening. Yes. And then exactly. from inspiration comes intuition. I like that because, yeah, then it's not just something that's made up in your head or made up in your feeling. Right. right? It's a lightning it's, flash. It's, it's a lightning flash that is adhering to a spiritual message, some other thing that you received because of your willingness to listen. Right. Right. And that for, informs the patterning of, uh, of what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a really great way of describing that inner mechanism because it's something that is so easily misunderstood. Right. When you say the word intuition, it often can be misleading. Mm-hmm. And with children, specifically with imagination, when you're looking at little kids, like up to the age of seven, I mean, if, if you just observe them, they live in the imaginal realm. Right. You made some great examples of that. Like, like when I watched my kids at those ages, mm-hmm. You know, when my boys were playing pirate, they they were the pirate. Right. Like, like like you know, if I called one of them by their name and that wasn't their name in the game in 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 what they were playing, no, they were like, no, Dad, I am you know I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Like mm-hmm. that's who I am right now. You need to call me that. Yep. You know, same with my daughter when she was like princess. You know, whoever she wanted to be, uh-huh. that was her. Or was a princess? Yeah. Well, no. You know, she was mainly a dog most of the time. Really? She, she played puppy all the time. <laughs> so, but like, you couldn't convince her she wasn't because right. in her, I, you know, at that age, at that young age, they're absorbed in in the realm of imagination. So, they are everything. Well. They're in it all. They're in it. They're just like they can be the tree if they want to be the tree. They can they can be, um, you know, a fairy if they want to be a fairy. They can they they just yeah. But a lot of that is because they've been given an environment within which they're given that freedom. Yes. And of course, there are a lot of children who are not given that environment. Yes. So if we're going to talk about childhood in general, like a, as a phenomena within the human species, or even in other species, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure how much that imaginative aspect of things plays itself out or maybe it's just that it's less like cultivated like maybe there's a an element of that that happens at a certain moment but maybe there's less time to do it in something like that i don't know it's hard to say i think every kid just lives in imagination i mean that is part of the natural human development yeah i think that probably the imagination is the development of the sense of 
personal understanding of what you're learning. Right. You know, because you don't know what you're learning when you're learning it. Mm. Particularly like the first things you're learning, it's it's like what is that? Mm-hmm. It really is just imitation, right? It's imitation. So exactly. You you imitate a bunch of different things which turn out to be sort of skills like holding a fork or something like that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then like maybe you figure out that getting it into your mouth is one way to get that stuff yeah. You know, without someone, and that's what everyone your, else seems to do. Everyone else is doing it, right? Right? Yeah. So, but the significance of it is a long time coming, mm-hmm. right? Um, like when to use the soup spoon, you know, is like <laughs> versus the another fork. level of detail <laughs> <laughs> that really only starts to make sense when you know the question of the impression one is making during dinner parties. Mm-hmm becomes an issue and you know if you're lucky it never becomes an issue but you can you can go there and there's a a whole realm of meaning that can be associated with things and probably the imagination is the first attempts to make connections and kind of figure out how all these things get put together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so when we say that it's real it's real in the sense that that's the world that you're experiencing Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also very fluid. So it's not real in the sense of the eternal. It's not real in the sense of something that's necessarily accurate or or reliable, Mm -hmm. but it's real experientially. Right, and and if you look at those first seven years, that's really when when humans are accruing um, the majority of their their skills to be human, right? How mm-hmm. to walk, how to talk, how to, uh, how to feed themselves, right? So these are all, these are all uh, imitations that build up you know, their, their ability to be normal human beings. And then after about the age of seven, once all that's built in, when, once all that's imprinted, those, those um, neural networks that, that created that start to just burn off because now it's like all muscle memory, right? right. Like if you had to think about, like when you look at a, a young child using a fork to feed themselves, if you had to like put that amount of mental effort into it just to eat every day, I mean, you couldn't do it, yep. right? So you burn off like, I think some upwards of like 80% of what you form after the age of seven. It's interesting. Yeah. So there's that uh, patterning that comes about as a result of the imitation mirroring process. Yeah. And then there are the various relationships that are worked out in the imagination, which can also become these kind of patternings, which is one of the things you talk about next, which is rhythm Mm. and periodicity, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like a cyclical thing that allows you to establish these patterns of behavior, basically, right? And patterns of thinking. Right. And feeling and the relationship between all of them. Right. Because we are rhythmical beings on a rhythmical planet in a rhythmical cosmos. And we are rhythmical at our core to the point where we have genes that are called clock genes that are involved with our rhythms. So what science is finding for... Uh, not just children. I mean, through children, you can see this observation-wise, but that that if you feed a child at the same time every day, if they have breakfast at the same time, snacks at the same time, dinner at the same time, if they have naps at the same time, if they go to bed at the same time, if they wake up at the same time, if you have these rhythms established, 
that provides the child such a boundary or, or just like a container to naturally unfold with ease because there's this security in that and it's very healing right. and very uh, nourishing to their life body, to the etheric body. So it's kind of like is, a Merkuba or something like that. It's like a, it's a vessel uh, because repetition is like having a reliable uh, foundation. Right. Right. So right. having a, a, a um, uh, something which will provide a, a consistent f- uh, support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The another thing that you said is that the universe is made up of repeating self-organizing systems. Yes. It's and there's a number of yeah. There's a number of words in here that are really important. So we're talking about all of creation having these repeating, so the cyclical thing happening, self-organizing. Mm-hmm. Now, when people say self-organizing, they think, oh, well, self, but if you think of it in, in the terms of the self, mm-hmm. right, the I, mm-hmm. then we're talking about nodes of consciousness throughout all of mm. creation. Mm. Uh, each one of them in order to organize their surroundings is in relation with a bunch of other self-organizing entities, right? So we are a body, mm-hmm. and this is going to be the basis of one of my objections to Steiner. Mm-hmm. We are a body that consists of a bunch of cells, and each cell is essentially its own self-organizing system that repeats its process. It has a cellular metabolism, mm-hmm. right? And division. And, and division, and so my thesis is that that is the overall pattern. So we have now within a cell a bunch of molecules, and each of those molecules are self-organizing systems, right, that the cell is organizing. Mm-hmm. So the cell is mm-hmm. a single consciousness mm-hmm. which has a multiplicity of molecules, and each of those molecules are self-organizing systems, and those are comprised of atoms, which are also self-organizing systems. Mm -hmm. Self in the sense of a consciousness. That's Mm -hmm. how I think of it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you could say, well, atoms are comprised of particles, which are also Mm self-organizing systems Mm -hmm. in some way or another. Mm -hmm. So zooming back out, if we are a consciousness that is organizing all of these cells in in various ways you know there might be another layer between those two because the organs are kind of separate consciousnesses as well Mm -hmm. right so part of the way that that i see evolutionary development is that we had a period where cells were collecting together into organisms and they would have sort of like a simple organizational function and then you had these variety of different organizational units that were doing different things, and they would come into contact with each other and develop symbiotic relationships, which eventually, over the course of the time, became the organs within another body. So you get a network kind of connectivity mm-hmm. between individual conscious entities, and eventually the network establishes itself as the consciousness. It becomes coherent. Yeah, it becomes the the kind of central organizing consciousness yeah. of a bunch of other conscious mm-hmm. entities. Yeah, they all kind of start to sync up for the, the sake of the greater. Right. The thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about that was one of the things that we had discussed briefly in one of the previous episodes about what it means to be 
healthy in an unhealthy world, <laughs> you know? So it's like, we're talking about some of the underlying mechanisms for health, really. And it has to do with the way that a individual self can develop itself to its full potential through the utilization of its perceptual facilities in relationship with whoever cares for it. Mm -hmm. You know, the tending consciousness, the parents, you know. Mm -hmm. And of course, that it's basically the same type of thing, whether it's food or the information or the emotional or uh, the... Sense experience. Yeah, the sense experience and the imaginative connections that start mm -hmm. to take place. Mm -hmm. And then these patterns start to for form, mm -hmm. you know, these rhythmic or cyclical types or of... Or habits. Habits, right. right. Yeah, and you make the point that we have these chemicals in the body that uh, release... Yeah, so of, dopamine. Oh yeah, so, dopamine. So talking about our neurotransmitters, which right. I, what I call the neurotransmitters are molecules of the soul because these are the, the neurochemicals that are responsible for a lot, our thoughts, our feelings. Yeah, they so, basically color mm -hmm. what's happening within experience. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right? So, so they are what's really the they are the they're small enough to be considered part of the quantum field, first off. So let's understand that. In terms of their- Molecular size. Really? Yes, they're part small of the enough. Quantum, I mean, yeah. no, these are uh, molecules, right? Yeah, so it's-, it's, it's, it's <laughs> They're not large molecules. Not large molecules. Okay. So they, That's interesting. So we're, we're creating our reality with these neurochemicals. Well- In a, sen in a sense, so- let me let me just say I'm, I'm not saying like, <laughs> like you can manifest you know a million dollars just because you're thinking of how good a million dollars feels in your in your wallet. But what I'm saying is that based on your perception of a particular sense stimuli, um, you're going to release certain neurochemicals that are either pleasurable or not pleasurable. And you're going to have hormonal cascades that are associated with that. So when you do something that you find joy in, you're, you release dopamine. And dopamine gives you that sense of joy and pleasure, right? But it's also that, that breakdown there is that it can be the addictive pathway too. So right. you do cocaine and you get this sense of joy and pleasure from it. And you keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And eventually what happens is that the only way you can feel joy and pleasure is from that that experience and so you have this this dependency so it's but i think it also kind of it, it, if i understand correctly it backfires at a certain point absolutely like because you, you basically wear out that you, circuit you can't um, you can't produce the dopamine on your own anymore you need the drug to do it so in a way like the characterization of uh, addictive behavior is that you repeat an action even though the result is not what you want exactly so you kind of enter it because it gives you a result that you enjoyed but by the time you're in the thick of it, you're really not getting that anymore. You're trying to recapture something you'll never recapture again. Right. It's really pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing how powerful it is. Yes. In nourishing, one of the primary things everyone thinks about is food, right? And you, you provide a great definition for food in here. You say, <laughs> food is something which promotes growth, provides energy, or otherwise sustains the body. Right. So it's, it's any substance that can be eaten, drunk, or otherwise taken into the body that, uh, that promotes growth, provides energy, and sustains life. So, but obviously we live in a world now where a lot of the stuff that people put into their body is not providing energy 
or <laughs> promoting growth or, you know, otherwise sustaining the body. Absolutely. Not just food-wise, but sense stimuli-wise, yes, right? Yeah. So, All, uh, across the board. Yeah. Like watching TV, watching news, uh, listening to news, listening to negative things. I mean, we become what we ingest, right? So Right. So then the, the, the question becomes, how do we become well-adapted within a sick world? Mm. Right. right, right. Wasn't it Krishnamurti who said uh, uh, the sign of uh, uh, what was the uh, quote? He said something like, "Health isn't being well adapted to a sick society or something right. like that." But you know, you have to make the the argument if you're not to some extent adapted to what's going on, you're going to have a lot of trouble. True. So you can imagine that someone who is absolutely dedicated to doing everything healthy possible, it is completely unprepared for the world as it is right now. And actually, one of the reasons why I have some difficulty with Steiner is because I lived up um, in upstate New York near uh, Philmont. Hawthorne Valley? Uh, yeah, Hawthorne Valley School is. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got to know, and I really like the people there. It's a great place. They've got a great health food store. I love the farm. I worked on the farm a little bit, um, did a biodiesel project with the farmer and um, really enjoyed the place. But I also got to know uh, some of the people who had grown up in the in the community. And one of the things that was kind of acknowledged as being a pattern is that these kids would have this awesome childhood and they'd go through the whole school there. I think it went all the way through to 12th grade. Mm-hmm. And then they would hit like normal society and they would just go out on the skids. They would just freak out. They didn't know how to deal with how fucked up everything is. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it, on one level, it's a, it's not a criticism of Steiner. It's, you know, more a criticism of where our society is at right now. But on another level, it's like, okay, well, this is the world that we're in. And it's like there is our, there are these transitionary moments that occur in in all uh, biological tr- you know evolutionary changes mm-hmm. where uh, the way that things were done for a certain period of time is no longer accessible, and so things are shifting to some other kind of mode, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and yeah. of course there's a, a always a difficult dynamic where there's those who are trying to hold on to a previous way of doing it. And then there are those who are kind of gung ho about this new Avenue and whatever that seems to promise. And then there's a bunch of people in the middle of like just trying to survive, (laughs) you know? So my sense is that we're at a point now where it's going to be difficult for if we're going to envision what humanity now has as its options. It's difficult to imagine that people are going to have access to, you know, even just the food part. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and then, you know, because of the kind of damage that's been going on, you know, we're in societies that are fundamentally sick in various ways. These other aspects of nourishment, the heart-mind connection right and the ability to engage in positive and healthy mirroring imitation and as a consequence having some models that you can then imaginatively connect in a healthy way that doesn't become freaking psychotic and then of course developing 
uh, healthy patterns that are productive for yourself and for society at large and ideally for the ecosphere as well so that we're all playing a good role. It's really hard to imagine <laughs> how the fuck it is we're going to accomplish that. You know, it seems like we, we missed the boat on that one. Somewhere back in biblical days. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, the boat. Yeah. <laughs> Not everyone got on the on the ark, right? The, but uh, I, I often wonder, have we gone too far? Have we gone too far? Have we pushed too far past the threshold of, of being able to return from where we're at right now? Well, we were speaking the think, other. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead sorry. No, and I just, I there's part of me that just says it's it's faded that we're just going to play this thing out and we're just we're just crashing and burning the whole thing, Kali Yuga style. <laughs> yeah, I think we we had talked before. It's like how do you buck the Yuga trend that yeah. you're living within? It's like somehow we're just going to make an exception for ourselves here within the. You know, it's like yeah. that's just kind of continuing the American exceptionalism mm. problem that is uh, that was part of the pro- part of the reason why we're in this situation to begin with. But you know, globally we have yeah. this situation going that goes beyond like just the Western world. Right. This, this is. is- this is where I think like the most that we can do is our own work. Yeah, I completely like, you know, agree. We've, we've got like think... one seven billionth of the healing to do on this planet, each right. one of us. Seven point right. seven now. Okay, so we one, we have one seven one seven point seven billion billionth of the healing <laughs> to do on this planet, right? right? And so so we live our life as as with as much awareness as we possibly can, with as little impact as we possibly can. I mean, like kind of impact on the environment, with, but with as much impact from our heart, mind, from our, you know, can we live our life day to day with as much self-awareness as possible? Yeah. I don't want to like suggest that it's necessarily going to go to shit, right? <laughs> so I just want to bring into question the overall picture of, yeah. you know, how we might... Uh, attain a, a better state of health in not just body but also you Soul know, heart and spirit, mind. Yeah, right. you know those of us who are interested in these problems are uh, challenged to find a uh, central organizing principle, something that we can kind of really sit with to keep ourselves from skidding off the tracks. Yeah, like off what the happened. rails. Right? Yeah, yeah. I would imagine that you know it's it's going to get more difficult in the near future. Well, you know, if you just getting to this place uh, in the in this conversation, if you reflect on the very last thing I share as far as nourishing the soul of a child, it is to acknowledge and honor that the child has their own karma and their own destiny. Right. Right. So Yeah, there's only so much that we can do when it comes to the um initial providing guidance and uh, the imitation type of part of the whole process. But I just, I also would hope that people are thinking really carefully uh, about having children. Yeah. In this day and age? Yeah. I've been telling all my kids, do not have kids. Right. Adopt or something. If you want kids, like adopt or something. But I would not bring children into this world right now. (laughs) Yeah, I think that... That that uh, might be quite uh, bleak, but... I don't well, know. I think a lot of people are starting to to see that, and a lot of young people too. Yeah, you know? and yet there's also like a need for like good stock uh, coming into the world, good genes, healthy, vibrant, like 
Well, clearly, good genes you know, coming into the world. Just because we said it, not everyone's going to stop having kids. No, this is true. And I would imagine Don't that, listen to us ever. <laughs> I imagine ever. that there, there are some people who are going to do it no matter what. Like, uh-huh. good catch there. Thanks. <laughs> Almost lost the mic there. Um, so some people are, are just really geared for it, and those are the people who should be doing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. One of the things that I've been thinking about recently that's somewhat of a radical approach is that – you know, we, we definitely have a population problem, and a lot of the things that are going on right now are intensified by the need of so many people and so many things happening on such a large scale. Mm-hmm. You know, the amount of stuff that needs to be moved every day to keep people fed, it's truly mind-blowing. And so we're, we're likely to see increased problems with environment, energy issues, social unrest, you name it. All that stuff is likely to get worse if we can't address the population issue. Mm-hmm. And it strikes me that one way we could do it, you know, they're already talking about universal basic income. Yes. And yes. universal basic income, it's going to be, we're getting more and more people who are being pushed out of the job marketplace by automation. Uh, and we're having major problems within the economy to begin with that make it more difficult for people to find meaningful employment. Mm-hmm. So... How many people would be happy to retire their reproductive capability for guaranteed basic income for the rest of their life? Mm. You know, it's like (laughs) we could really, I bet there are a lot of people who would be like, sure. Yeah. No problem. That would be great. It's, it's, you know, (laughs) and I know that there's a lot of people who have a lot of problems with that, but. (laughs) At some point or another, we're going to have to address this problem. You just threw the grenade into like the center of the conversation. I know, not, not only because it's, we're already 40 minutes in and we haven't even covered half of what I wanted to talk about in your talk, but because it's a heavy topic to talk about, yeah, it seems like this is something that has to be at least discussed and, and considered because the other options are just so much worse. Yeah. You know, and obviously, something like this would have to be completely voluntary and... You know, I'm sure that whatever mechanism it is that implemented it would screw it up. Uh, <laughs> but on a certain level, it's it's pretty simple, and it it would, if there were enough participants, address really the root of the problem. So, what do you think? I got nothing on that one. We'll see if we get any emails. <laughs> Please. <laughs> All right. I get it. What should we? We'll call this one quits, and I we'll think... do part two. Yeah. This the is next part one? two. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Next next time will be part two. Part two of this one. Part two of this. Part one. two of one. Yeah. The one yeah, that we're in right now. Part, yeah. part two to this part one that yeah. we're doing currently, which was actually. This is the one that happened before, so we can't actually say the next podcast. We blew it. In, oh, that's right? true. That's true. So when we, we said you know what, when no, we said the next podcast, <laughs> we didn't mean it. No, we <laughs> meant the one after the next podcast. That's right. No one's ever going to notice. <laughs> just pointed it out. He still won't notice. Maybe I'll just edit all this shit out. Should I do that?
feel like I'd be lying at this point. Put so much out on the table. We both have our phones out. We're both like busily checking our yeah. phones right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, somebody, <laughs> somebody <laughs> needs something right now. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, throw us a bone by subscribing to this channel, visiting our social media pages, and hitting the various like, love, and clap buttons. We welcome all comments, criticisms, and random thoughts. Our email is silentassembly at protonmail.com. And if you want to be an angel, we have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash silentassembly. We look forward to serving you again soon. In the meantime, remember, turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up and take it home.